I want to say again, I'm thankful to be here, and I do ask for your continued prayers. A couple of verses I want us to consider as we begin today. John 10, verse 10, and John 12, verse 46. And I want you to think about this as the backdrop of this message. John 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. John 12, 46 says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me or puts his trust in me, should not abide in darkness. I want to ask you, what is life? What is this life he's talking about? And what is this light that Jesus is talking about? What is life, really? I look around sometimes at um, the people who claim to be the people of God. And if I'm honest... It doesn't really look like we're alive sometimes. And I'm saying that not with criticism, but with brokenness, because I include myself in that. And I want to ask us, when Jesus says, the reason I came is that you might have abundant life, I want to ask you, do you live as if you're really alive? And when he says, I came into this world that whoever puts his trust in me would not abide in darkness, but would abide in light. Do we live as if we can really see where we're going? And if I'm honest, so many times in my life, as I look back on my life, so much of it has been consumed with fretting about the future, worrying about things I can't control, or being anxious about things that don't really matter. And I think if you're honest, you'll say the same thing. I don't think my faith is greater than the disciples, who Jesus looked at and said, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? And I've seen prayers answered in my life in ways that I never anticipated, Ways that I never imagined. And then I can look back over years and see God preparing things so that He could answer that prayer in the future in a way that I needed that was more than I even knew I needed. So why would we ever doubt? I look back and I see that God has lit my path with His light so that I didn't stumble, fall off a cliff and die. I mean, literally, I could have died at different times. And at the time, I didn't even necessarily realize. We live lives too much in our heads and not enough in the spiritual freedom and fullness that God has given us. We live lives too much trying to figure out in our minds and not enough trying to feel after the Lord. He says, those who seek after me shall find me. Listen, your mind doesn't seek. It takes in information, it analyzes, it concludes. It doesn't seek. What seeks is that central part of you that we call the heart or the soul or the spirit. That is what seeks after the Lord. And he says, those who seek me will find me. You'll find me if you seek after me with all of your heart. Oh, the mind has an important role in service to God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
But I want you to understand as I go into this message today that peace doesn't come through your mind. It comes by being injected directly into that central part of you by the Holy Spirit himself. Your mind doesn't lead you into peace. It leads you into knowledge. Knowledge can be used for the Lord or against the Lord. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace, the life giver. So I want to ask you, are you really alive? And I want you to be honest with yourself. If somebody looked at you, could they tell that you're actually alive? I mean spiritually alive. Could they, could they tell that there's something different? Our lives are so short. You realize that. And God has given us a space of time that Scripture tells us is like a vapor. One breath on a cold night, and then our lives are over. Are we doing anything useful with them? And I have no criticism in my heart towards you. I have only a desire that we will glorify God with the lives he has given us, which are so short. And as I look out over this crowd, I see a lot of white hair and some gray hair. And some of you, your lives are probably shorter than maybe mine is. But we don't know. So those of you who have served the Lord faithfully, I want to say thank you. Please continue to. Thank you for preserving the way of truth for people in my generation. Thank you. But I want to tell you, if you're still alive, no matter how old you are, God has work for you to do. He has people for you to love. Sometimes God's people, we get so busy. This is true for all people. We get so busy just going through the motions of life that we forget to actually live. It's like we've forgotten how to breathe. And that's what I really want to talk about today. Have we forgotten how to breathe? That might sound weird, but as I get into it more, I hope it will make sense. I'll give you a few verses on that. Genesis 2, verse 7. One of my favorites. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I want to tell you two things before I continue. Don't be too hard on yourself because you're just a dirt person. You came out of the dirt. But also... Don't discount what God can do because He literally breathed life into dirt. You realize that? And He has not changed. We have sometimes. He can do abundantly exceeding more than we ask or think. He can give us the needs of our hearts and the desires that we have. He wants to use us. He wants to empower us. He wants to strengthen us to have abundant life. Man became a living soul when God breathed into him. In Job 33, that whole book is fascinating to me. I don't have time to get into it. But there came a time near the end of it when this young man, Elihu, had heard these people, Job and his friends, talk for so long. And on the one hand, Job was trying to justify how good he was. And his friends were saying, no, you must not be good or all these bad things wouldn't have happened to you. And they were both missing the point. And Elihu started speaking and he said, I have to speak on behalf of God. He was basically saying, you're missing the point. This isn't about Job. 
He says, the Spirit of God has made me. This is Job 33, 4, if you want to make a note. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Where does your life come from? From the breath of the Almighty. And that is gives in the present. God, as we live, continues to give us life. That is both literal and spiritual. I'm talking primarily about spiritual life today, but also literally when your breath stops. If it doesn't come back, your life has expired and you're gone. We know this. Spiritually, though, we lose our vitality, we lose our strength, we lose our effectiveness when we stop breathing the spiritual breath of the Holy Spirit of God. We're told all through Scripture about God being spirit, and particularly God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And in truth, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, we know you're sent from heaven. Nobody could do these things that you do unless you came from God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him this sort of uh, analogy. He said, the wind moves wherever it wants to. And you hear the sound of it. You can tell that it's there, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes to. He says, so it is with everyone who is born of God. If you look into that John 3, that passage, the wind is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit moves wherever He desires. You can see His movement. You can hear His voice. You don't know where He comes from. This is how people are born of God. The breath of God, the Holy Spirit, the wind of God animates our lives. Elihu knew that. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. When the breath of the Almighty stops breathing life into you, you die. (laughs) Spiritually, when God stops empowering you for whatever reason, you have no more effectiveness with Him. That should make us feel better. And I don't know sometimes if it does, that takes a burden off my shoulders because I recognize God does not expect me to serve Him in my own strength and power. What He desires is me to breathe in the breath of His Spirit. You've got to be close enough to do that, don't you? This breath of God uh, is so real and tangible. We have a picture of that in John 20, verse 22. Jesus had been crucified. He had been in the grave. He'd been resurrected. They went to the tomb. And um, the sister was there. And he said, don't touch me yet. I'm not ascended to my father. He came and met with them. These people were representative of his congregation on earth, his church. He came and met with them in that room. John 20, verse 22, he breathed on them. Jesus Christ breathed on these people and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? When God saves you, that is what happens. He breathes the Holy Spirit into your very being. And you never again have to try to do life through your own strength, through your own mental ability, through your own emotional capacity. You can lean on Him. You can depend on Him. You can rely on Him. One commentary about this verse 
says the Greek word used here for breathed is employed nowhere else in the New Testament, but is the very one used by the Septuagint translators in Genesis 2-7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There, man's original creation was completed by this act of God. Who then can fail to see that here in John 20, on the day of the Savior's resurrection, the new creation had begun? Begun by the head of the new creation, the last Adam acting as a quickening spirit. That is so beautiful to me that God began began creation by breathing life into Adam with his own breath. And he began spiritual creation by breathing the Holy Spirit life into the apostles through Jesus Christ himself. And those same men, who was there when Jesus was crucified? Hardly anybody. Peter, who was so bold and so uh, desirous to serve him, he said, "Nobody, I won't deny you, Lord. He was the very one who denied him. These same men who ran, basically, once Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on them, they were empowered. These same men lived lives for God and died as martyrs. I don't know what your desire is for this church or for the Lord's churches in general. I imagine you might want some more people here. I imagine you might want maybe some more activity. I imagine you might want maybe some more manifest power of God. Listen, all of that comes through revelation from God and the express power of His Holy Spirit. These men who died for Him, they weren't able to do that until they were empowered by His Spirit. And it's the same today. Whatever the desire of our heart, if we desire God to really work through us, we have to rely on His Spirit. We have to remember how to breathe. That the breath comes from Him. I keep saying that about breathing. And and I want to pause here and I want you to just think for a moment. Your life is perpetuated by your lungs pumping Breath coming in, inspiration, and going out, expiration, inspiration, expiration. Do you take more conscious breaths or unconscious breaths? Unconscious, right? We try to handle our lives our own way, in our own strength. We do things through our own ability, sometimes every day. And at some point, if you're like me, I don't know, maybe some of you aren't like this, but here's how I typically am until God breaks me down to a point that I can rely on Him. I do what I can, I try to do my own task and try to serve Him in my own power, and then at some point I tire of that and I fall asleep. And my body breathes. I don't do it actively. There's a reason that we have this parallel between natural breath and spiritual breath. That is because true service to to God comes not through our own conscious efforts, not through our own power, but through a complete yielding and submission to Him. Just like when you finally fall asleep at night, you, you yield yourself to sleep, and then the nature that God has put in place takes care of you. The way that we serve God spiritually is we finally yield ourselves to His care and His service and the spiritual nature and laws He put in place takes care of us. Do you know when you're really serving God, you're not even thinking about whether you're serving God? 
look back on your life at those times when God was most active and when you're sure He was with you, you weren't analyzing and trying to figure out and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And focused on all this other stuff. You were simply surrendered and yielded to Him. Weren't you? That's what it took for you to be saved. It took a moment of unconditional surrender. There comes a time for every person who truly knows God that God shows them who they are, that they're a, surrender and that they're a sinner in need of repentance, that He is high and lifted up and they're just down here and they're not that good. They realize that. And there comes a moment when they get to the point of brokenness and contrition and they cry out to God either with their mouths or with their hearts and say, Lord, save me. He does. And that person becomes a new creation. The way that you obtain salvation is by ceasing from your own works and resting in the completed work of Christ. He has already done what it takes for you to be saved. You're called to repent. And repentance, part of that is surrendering to Him. And it amazes me. I look at my own life and I look at the lives of my brothers and sisters. And some people, the only time you've ever fully surrendered to God is the day He saved you. And the whole rest of your life, you're trying to take control of everything in your life. And the only way we can really tr truly serve God the way He wants is to let go of our illusion of control. Let the Holy Spirit breathe His power into our life. Let Him have His way. It's such a paradox. It's such a contradiction of human nature that what God really wants from us is to yield, to give in, which feels like doing nothing. But that's how He works through us. This life that is talked about in John chapter 10, if you, if you look in a concordance or dictionary, it says that this life is the state of one who is possessed of vitality or who is animate. There is something active and moving about life. I don't know if you've ever watched someone die. Some of you probably have. I have. And there comes a moment where you, you can't tell if they're alive or not. And part of it is because they're no longer animate. They're no longer animated. There's no more vitality. There's no movement. There's a body there. Do you understand where I'm going? God's churches, I think, sometimes look kind of like that. There's a body there. But if we're honest... People out there, I don't know if they came in, if they could tell whether we're really animated or that we have the vitality of God or not. Would they be able to tell? Would they come in and experience something different? Would they feel the power of God or would they just see, oh, here's another church body? There's something about the Christian life that is so full of vitality. Which comes from a reliance on God, dependence on Him, a need for Him. That vitality comes partly from an awareness of what God has done for us and continues to do for us and through us to others in the world. There's a spiritual energy that comes from resting in God. A 
you continue that definition, it says that this life is of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God, and through Him, both to the hypostatic Logos and to Christ, in whom the Logos put on human nature. This life... You read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That word, the Greek word is Logos. The living Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. The life was the light of man. Do you remember? Do you remember what your life felt like before it was alive? Do you remember? I remember. I remember trying to do things in my own strength. I was 14 when God saved me on my face in a puddle of tears. He made me a new creature like I had never been before. And everything I tried to do in my own strength before paled in comparison. See, I was raised in church. I was a good little church boy. I would have these discussions with my friends about why they were wrong doctrinally. And it was completely useless because I didn't even know God. When He saved me, you know what happened? There was a life that sprung out from inside of me that people could tell there was a difference. That's how I still want my life to be. I don't care that I'm up here crying before you and this broken. Because it takes that for God to use you. That's all I want. This life is real and genuine. It is a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed by Him. And all of God's people who put their trust in Christ have access to this life. I love this verse, getting back to light from Proverbs 4. The path of the just is as the shining light which shines more and more into the perfect day, but the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Do you remember how it felt to stumble around in darkness? I remember. Sometimes just remembering what God has saved us from and saved us for is what it takes to have our hearts reanimated to serve Him. The work I was doing in Germany, um, I was working with uh, active duty service members, soldiers and Marines and airmen and a couple of sailors. All day, every day, these people would come to my office and I was there to help them with VA benefits. That was, that was my job. But the reason God sent me there was to show them His love. And so... Every week, these men would be in my office and a few women, and um, every week somebody was in there in tears. And they told me it was because they finally found somebody who cares. The world is a cold place. The military is a machine that doesn't treat you like a human. It's part of why it functions. And when they found somebody who cared, how did they know that I care? Because God put a love in my heart when he saved me. 
that was evident to them. It's not about me, it's about Him. I'm telling you this to glorify God, it's nothing to do with me. They could tell there was something different. And I sat with people everywhere from, you know, 19 years old on up to in their 50s. People from just privates all the way up to colonels. And they all had this in common. They, they wanted, really, to have somebody be kind to them. They wanted to see some light. They wanted to see some authenticity. And I saw, I don't know if I can convey this to you, but I want to try to. I saw the verse in Romans that says, All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. I saw that fulfilled in my life. This didn't pan out the way people would expect. You know, you're, you think you're, you get called to preach, you pastor, you give up your pastor, you find another church pretty quickly, and that's the pattern that we follow. God led me to give up the church I was pastoring. I didn't know this opportunity would come up, and then it did. And then here I am in Germany, in a country where I don't speak the language, driving on roads I can't read the signs at a 120 miles an hour, some roads, Trying to figure out this culture and being on military bases, and I'm not prior military, so even that culture was different. Doing a job I wasn't trained to do, I had to rely on God. Understand? And the people could sense that there was this authentic, broken sincerity in front of them. Oh, sometimes we cried together, sometimes we wept together, sometimes we laughed together. Sometimes their brokenness overwhelmed me so much I couldn't handle it. And then you know what God would do? This is how His Spirit allows us to fellowship. This is what church is supposed to be about. I'll give you an example or two. At those times when I was completely spent and worn out, exhausted of my own strength and capacity, excuse me, God would send me somebody to remind me of His love. That's what church is supposed to do. Partly. There was a week in particular that I was as tired as I had been and, and I was even getting to the point of like, like frustration and bitterness at being just... It's hard if you've worked in some kind of social work setting or people who are always broken or always want something from you. It takes something out of you, doesn't it? And this man came in who was so big and imposing that he sort of intimidated us. He just had that... I mean, he was built like Mike Tyson... And he, and he took up half of my wall in my office. And he came in and one of my colleagues came out uh, to my office and said, um, you, you've got a guy here, I, I just, I just want to let you know, he, he seems really agitated, so um, be careful. <laughs> and he comes in and sits down, this big, huge guy. He was a boxer too, by the way. And I've been doing, this was near the end of my tour, I've been doing that job long enough and God helped me, that I could sense there was a tenderness and a gentleness underneath his big imposing stature. And he started out sitting on the edge of his chair, leaning forward, and within five minutes he was leaning back with his head against the wall, and he said, uh, his name was Mr. Hines, he said, Mr. Josh, I don't know if you noticed, but I said, I'm leaning back with my head against the wall, I never do that, I feel so comfortable with you. And I said, well, you could tell I love you. And this big imposing man, we ended up talking for two and a half hours. And by the end of our meeting, we were hugging and saying, I love you. And he, was, he told me he was a singer. I said, well, sing me something. And he started singing, I come to the garden alone, 
while the dew is still on the roses. And then, and he walks with me and he talks with me. So we're walking out of my office, tears running down our face, hugging, saying, I love you. And my coworkers are looking at us like we're crazy. That is what God can do. A little white boy who's never seen any combat or military, gangs, any kind of violence, and a big, huge black man who was a boxer, career military, and who's seen it all, coming together in love. That's what God can do. That's what He can do in our churches if we surrender ourselves to Him. If we remember that the breath we're breathing is His breath. In and out, inspiration, expiration is the Holy Spirit. He's the life giver. I want to talk about the church for just a few minutes. We use that word church because it's what the translation says. But we've used it for several hundred years and people have come to associate the idea of church with an organization, a structure, an entity, some type of collective agreement. A church is not that. It is an organism. It is living and breathing. And you probably know this, but the Greek word for church that's translated that way is ekklesia. It is a called out group of living, breathing Christian people united in a common purpose who've been baptized and who are trying to serve God. That's what a church is. It's not this building. It's God's people assembled together trying to worship Him. And it's not a, an organization, as I said, but an organism. That's why Scripture refers to the congregation as a body. Living, breathing, animated. The whole purpose of a body is to move. And when your body stops moving, it dies. The church of Jesus began in power. And it continued in power as long as they were fully surrendered to Him. And when it stopped continuing in power, God brought persecution to scatter them to different places so they would once again serve Him. That's what happened. The church of Jerusalem had thousands of people. The Lord allowed persecution so that they would go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize, and do everything that God taught them. You know what, though? They didn't get to be comfortable while they were doing it. And again, I'm saying this, I, I, some of you don't know me. I hope you can feel my sincerity. This is not with criticism, but I'm afraid that we're trading comfort for power with God. We want routine, we want habit, we want familiar, when what God wants us to do is explode the boxes that we build and try to put Him inside of. That whole trip to Germany blew up my boxes of God. It didn't fit any established standard I had heard or seen. And I realized that God, I had a conception of Him, and it was inside this box. And I was trying sincerely to serve Him. But I got over there and saw that God had been working outside the box already. So as soon as I walked through that door He opened, He had prepared a way, and a path, and a plan. He does the same in all of our lives. All we have to do is stop putting Him inside this little box. You know, sometimes people, and I've been guilty of this, sometimes we're frustrated with or dissatisfied with or we complain about the church as if it's a separate organization from us, like complaining about the government or the Democrats or the Republicans. The problem with that is the church is made up of imperfect, broken, living body parts who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. If you have a problem with your church, look in the mirror first. 
Because the church is you. It's not some structure or entity. The Lord started to change my thinking a couple years ago on that. I'll just be honest. I looked around and I see all these churches dying. And that's hard as a young man who hopefully has maybe 50 years ahead of me, 60 years. I don't know. And I, and I went through a period of discouragement. And I went through a period of frustration. And finally God brought me to the place of realizing that that wasn't going to help anything. And He returned me to a place of love and mercy, which is what He has for us. And I began to realize that all I can do is change myself. And I can't even do that without His help. That's why Jesus teaches us, why do you look at your brother with a splinter in his eye when you have a big stick in your eye? And I began to see how critical I was and how things in myself needed to change and how I wasn't as broken as I needed to be and how God had redeemed me and rescued me from so many things in my own life and how the foundation of all acceptable service to him is love. That's what he taught me more than anything else. That's what these rough and tough men that they make war movies about that I sat with. I, I, I can't tell you the people that I met over there, multiple combat tours. I had one guy who was in charge of 30,000 people in Afghanistan. And, and these people, no matter how tough they were, were looking for the same thing. I want to remind us. Peter said, I think it's meat as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. God, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of it, but God has put in my heart today to stir us up by reminding us what He's done for us. And I do believe that these are the people of God here. And many of you listening to this later. God wants to move in our lives. He wants to use us. He still wants to rescue a fallen world. Still. Colossians 2 verse 6. This is an instruction to all of us. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Remember what I said? Salvation comes at the point of unconditional surrender. And for a lot of people, I think that's the only time that they are really in complete surrender to God. If you're not living a surrendered life, you're missing out on His blessings. And that's part of what He's talking about here. When he says, just as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen, brothers and sisters, gratitude is the fuel for the Christian life. We should wake up every day thankful, no matter what's going on in our lives. That's reality. We don't always do it because we're human and we're nearsighted and we look at something right beside us, right in front of us. But the truth is, somebody died so we could live. If you were in the street, you leave church walking across the road and some big semi-truck zooming by and somebody jumps in front, pushes you out of the way, gets run over and dies, don't you think that would change the trajectory of your life forever? You would always think of that moment and say, I don't want to waste my life because that person died for me. That's exactly what happened. For those of us who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, He actually died for us. And we should look back on that and say, God, I don't want to waste my life. Help me. The best way we can do that is through being grateful for what He's done for us. Thankful every day. I'm not talking about being fake. I'm not talking about faking it until you make it. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Be broken with the broken. Rejoice evermore. That's Scripture. 
There's times your life will be hard. And you're not exempted from suffering just because you're a Christian. You know that. But you still have something to be thankful for. You know what I found in those soldiers and Marines and airmen? What I found is the ones who had been through the most were the kindest. I had a few guys who had purple hearts blown up by IEDs. They were the nicest people to me. Because they had the most gratitude. Because they saw their brush with death closer than anybody else. Those of us who have been saved by God's grace have had a brush with spiritual death. We should be more thankful than anybody else in the world. He continues in the 20th verse and says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? <laughs> don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity of the body, but there are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What does that have to do with what I'm talking about today? Because we need pure religion and undefiled, as James talks about. You want to know what's going to work for the future? Just doing church isn't going to reach this generation. What it's going to take is people who are authentically broken before God, suffering through life with the people around them. That's what it's going to take. The power of God to deliver. A few more verses. 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Oh, brothers and sisters, we've been redeemed by love himself. What do we have to be afraid of? Romans 8.15, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Philippians 4, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which can't even be uttered with a human mouth. God knows the needs of our hearts and in his time he fulfills those. If we wait on him, he's so good to us. I want to read you, as I close, I want to read this from the Amplified Version. Very familiar passage, but this really expands on it. Matthew 6, beginning of verse 25. You want to serve God, listen to this. If you have a heart for Him, listen to this. If maybe life is sometimes too much for you, listen to this. Therefore I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy anxious and worried about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life greater in quantity than food, and the body far above and more excellent than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not much more worth than they are? And who of you, by worrying and being anxious, can add one unit of measure to his stature or to the span of his life? And why should you be anxious about clothes? 
Consider the lilies of the field and learn thoroughly how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his magnificence, excellence, dignity, and grace was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and green, and tomorrow is tossed into the furnace, will he not much more surely clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry and be anxious, saying, What are we going to have to eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to have to wear? For the Gentiles wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things taken together will be given to you in addition. So do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own, sufficient for each day is its own trouble. Brothers and sisters, why would we ever worry with a God like we have? He wants only good for us. I asked you a question in the beginning, have you forgotten how to breathe? That's what I would title this message. And I want to be really clear what I'm talking about. When, when we mention when you go to bed at night, that's when you do a lot of your breathing. And it's subconscious. It's perpetuated by God himself. Spiritual life, spiritual breathing is the very same way. So when I say, have you forgotten how to breathe, what I'm really asking you is, have you forgotten that true service to God is through relying completely upon him? That you can't spiritually breathe on your own. You can't work for the Lord on your own. So take that burden off yourself. I'm going to read you a little poem I wrote as, as I close. I want to say this for anybody here, anybody listening. If something about this message has um, struck a chord in your heart, if maybe you realize that you don't have the peace that I've talked about, you've never experienced a true salvation experience with God, there's never been a moment when you surrender to Him, you can. You can seek Him. He wants you to. And that's where peace comes from. So I'm going to read this to you and then I'll be finished. Have you forgotten how to breathe? Like you've forgotten what breathing is. And instead of breathing breath from the original breath himself, you choose to self-inflate through your own mechanisms. Mechanisms like fear-produced activity, anxiety-ridden mental marathons, taking life into your own hands rather than surrendering to the care of the life-giver himself. Why? We don't ask why enough. We live as if movement and constant perpetuity were the goal. We've forgotten how to rest in Jesus, the sovereign one. Why? Our enemy doesn't want us to ask this question or any question that causes us to consider our existence. And this is exactly what his opposition, the great creator, desires from us. He wants us to ask why. Why am I here? Why do I feel this way? Why is life so hard? Why? And he wants us to ask what? What does it all mean? What caused this to happen? What is the purpose of this situation? What can I do? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But we live as if there's no breath of life breathing in us. 
We live, no, we exist in a state of continual concern for our own well-being, so preoccupied over having enough that we obsess over the crumbs on the floor, never looking up to see the feast on the table that our Father has prepared for us. The feast is for us. The blessings are for us. The life is for us, His children. And yet we worry, oh we of little faith, when we could rest in His arms, settled in His sovereign plan, free to feel the fullness of all that God has given us. Free to be free. Free. But we've forgotten how to breathe. We've forgotten that breath is that rhythmic movement that sustains us independent of our own thought or action. Every night when we finally exhausted our efforts of control for that day, we lie down and we breathe through no conscious effort of our own, no worry, concern, efforts, or plans. We just breathe because that is what the breath giver created us to do when he first breathed breath into Adam's nostrils. We breathe. And this is how we should live because that is what the life giver created us to do when he first infused us with his own living spirit. So live like you are alive with all fullness and grace, with gratitude, thankfulness and love, free from fear. Let go of all your plans, worries and concerns and rest in who you are in Christ.